Welcome to the Horror Babble Podcast. A Question of Identity by Robert Block No pang of hunger nor torment of thirst can stifle the questions of who, where, and what. My limbs were led. My heart was a great coiled clock that throbbed rather than ticked, ever so slowly. My lungs were metal sponges, my head a bronze bowl filled with molten lava that moved like sluggish quicksilver, back and forth, in burning waves. Back and forth, consciousness and unconsciousness interplaying against a background of slow, dark pain. I felt just that, nothing more. I had a heart, lungs, body, head, but I felt nothing external, that is, my body did not impinge on anything. I was not sitting or standing or walking or lying or doing anything that I could feel. I was just heart, lungs, body, head alone in darkness that was filled with the pulsing of a muted agony. This was myself. But who was I? The thought came, the first real thought, for before that had been only an awareness of being. Now I wondered as to the nature of my being. Who was I? I was a man. The word man aroused certain associations which struggled through the pain, through the thumping heart and gasping lung sensation. If I was a man— what was I doing? Where was I? As if in response to the thought, awareness increased. I had a body, and therefore I possessed hands, ears, eyes. I must try to feel, hear, see. But I could not. My arms were lumps of immovable iron. My ears knew only the sound of silence, and the throbbing that came from within my tortured body. My eyes were sealed by the leaden weight of enormous eyelids. This I knew, and felt panic. What had happened? What was wrong with me? Why couldn't I feel and hear and see? I had been in an accident, and I was lying on a hospital bed under ether. That was one explanation. Perhaps I had been crippled, blinded, deafened, maimed. Only my soul existed faintly like a whispering that rustles through the ruins of an old, old house. But what accident? Where had I been before this? I must have lived. What was my name? I resigned myself to the darkness, as I strove to grapple with these problems, and the darkness was kind. My body and the darkness seemed to be equally detached, so that they mingled. It was peaceful— too peaceful for the thoughts that throbbed through my brain. The thoughts fought and clamoured, and finally screamed, until I felt myself awaken. It was the sensation, I vaguely recalled, of finding one's foot asleep. It spread over my body, so that a pleasant tingling made me aware, bit by bit, of having definite arms and hands, definite chest and pelvis, definite legs and feet. Their outlines emerged, 
and were defined by that tingling. A burring droned in my spine, as though a dentist's drill had bit into it. Simultaneously, I became aware that my heart was a congo drum within my chest, my lungs great gourds swelling and sinking in frantic rhythm. I exulted in the pain, for through it I felt myself. That sensation of detachment faded, and I knew that I, complete, intact, lay against softness. But where? That was the next question, and sudden energy seemed ready to solve it. My eyes opened. They encountered nothing but a continuation of the blackness which lurks behind the curtains of closed lids. If anything, the blackness was deeper, richer. I could see nothing of myself, and yet my eyes were open. Was I blind? My ears still heard no sound other than the mysterious inspiration of my own breath. My hands moved ever so slowly at my sides, rustling against cloth, which told me that my limbs were clothed, and yet unblanketed. They moved upward, outward, an inch, two inches, three, and then they encountered hard, unyielding surfaces on either side. They rose upward, prompted by fear, six inches, and another unyielding surface of wood. My feet thrust out as I stretched, and through shoe-leather the tips of my toes encountered wood. My mouth opened, and a sound poured forth. It was only a rattle, though I had meant to scream. For my thoughts whirled around one name, one name that somehow groped through a haze and loomed as the symbol of my unreasoning fear. I knew a name, and I wanted to scream. Edgar Allan Poe. And then my rattling voice whispered unprompted, that which I so feared in connection with this name. The premature burial, I whispered. Poe wrote it. I am living it. I was in a coffin, in a wooden coffin, with the hot, stale air of my own corruption reeking in my nostrils, burning in my lungs. I was in a coffin, locked in earth, and yet I was alive. Then I found strength. My hands had been frantically scratching and clawing at the surface above my head. Now they gripped the sides of my prison and thrust outward with all strength, my legs braced at the foot of the box. My legs then kicked. New vigour, the vigour of a madman, rushed through my boiling blood. In sheer frenzy, in an agony born of the fact that I could not scream and give expression to it, I lashed out with both feet at the bottom of the coffin, felt it splinter and give way. Then the sides cracked, my bleeding fingers clutched at the earth beyond, and I rolled over, burrowing and scrabbling at the moist, soft-packed earth. I dug upwards, wheezing in a sort of mindless desperation as I worked. Instinct alone combated the insane horror which gripped my being, and transformed it into the activity which alone could save me. They must have buried me in a hurry. The earth above my grave was shallow, 
choking and half-suffocated, I clawed my way to the top after endless eons of utter delirium during which the dust of the grave covered me, and I wriggled like a worm through the dark ground. My hands reached up to form a cavity. Then I lunged upward with full strength and burst through to the surface. I crawled out into silvery moonlight, flooding down upon a world of marble toadstools which sprouted richly from the mounds of grass all about me. Some of the fantastic stone growths were cross-shaped, others bore heads or great urn-like mouths. They were the headstones of graves, naturally, but I saw only toadstools, fat, bloated toadstools of dead-white pallor, reaching unthinkable roots into the ground below to draw forth nourishment. I lay staring at them, staring back at the pit through which I had come up out of death into life once again. I did not, could not, think. The words Edgar Allan Poe and premature burial had come unbidden to my brain, and now, for some reason, I found myself whispering in a hoarse, dreadful voice, then crooning more loudly, Lazarus! 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 Gradually, my panting subsided, and I drew fresh strength from the air that sang through my lungs. I stared at the grave again, my grave. It bore no headstone. It was a poor grave, in a poor section of the cemetery, probably a potter's field. Nearly on the outskirts of the necropolis it was, and weeds writhed over the poor graves. There was no headstones, and it made me remember my question. Who was I? It was a unique problem. I had been someone before I died, but who? Surely this was a novel case of amnesia, to return to a new life in the actual sense of the phrase. Who was I? Funny I could think of words like amnesia, and yet could not in the least associate them with anything personal in my past. My mind was utterly blank. Did death do this to me? Was it permanent? Or would my mind awaken in a few hours, just as my body had? If not, I was in sore straits. I didn't know my name, or my station, what I had been. For that matter, on reflection, I didn't even know where I was. The names of cities flooded foolishly through my brain. Chicago, Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Washington, Bombay, Shanghai, Cleveland, Chichen Itza, Pernambuco, Angkor Wat, Rome, Omsk, Carthage. I could not associate a single one with myself, or for that matter, explain how I knew those names. I thought of streets, of Mariposa Boulevard and Michigan Avenue, and Broadway and Center Street and Park Lane and the Champs-Élysées. They meant nothing to me. I thought of proper names. Felix Keniston, Ben Blue, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Studs Lonergan, Arthur Gordon Pym, James Gordon Bennett, Samuel Butler, 
Igor Stravinsky, and they represented no image of myself. I could see all those streets, visualize all those people, picture all those cities, but myself I could not associate with any of them. Comedy, tragedy, drama. It was a mad scene to play in a cemetery at nightfall. I had crawled out of a grave without a headstone, and all I knew was that I was a man. And yet, who? My eyes roved over my person, lying in the grass. Beneath the mud and dirt I saw a dark suit, torn in places and discoloured. It covered the body of a tall man, a thin body, poorly muscled and flat-chested. My hands, rustling over my person, were long and leanly muscular. They were not the hands of a labourer. Of my face I knew nothing, though I passed my hand over each feature in turn. One thing I felt certain of, whatever the cause of my apparent death, I was not physically maimed. Strength prompted me to rise. I rose to my feet, stumbled over the grass. For a few minutes I had that drunken floating sensation, but gradually the ground became solid under my feet. I knew awareness of the cool night wind on my forehead, heard with indescribable joy the chirping of crickets from a swamp afar. I walked around the tombstones, gazed at the clouding sky, felt dew and dampness fall. But my brain was aloof, detached, wrestling with invisible demons of doubt. Who was I? What was I to do? I could not wander strange streets in my dishevelled condition. If I presented myself to authorities, I would be put away as a madman. Besides, I did not want to see anyone. This fact I realized quite suddenly. I did not wish to see lights or people. I was different. It was the feeling of death. Was I still? Unable to bear the thought, I frantically groped for clues. I tried every means of awakening dormant memories. Walking endlessly the night through, combating chaos and confusion, fighting the grey clouds that clung to my brain, I wandered up and down the deserted corner of the cemetery. Exhausted, I stared at a lightened sky. And then my thoughts fled away, even the confused ones. I knew only one thing—the need for rest and peace and forgetfulness. Was it the death urge? Had I risen from the grave only to return? I neither knew nor cared. Actuated by a compulsion as inexplicable as it was overpowering, I stumbled toward the ruins of my grave and crept inside burrowing like a mole into the grateful darkness, whilst the earth tumbled in behind me. There was enough air, the thought came, to enable me to breathe, while I lay back in the shattered coffin. My head fell back, and I settled in my coffin to sleep. The muttering and rumbling died away from dreams I could not remember. They died away from dreams, and grew in reality— until I sat up, 
pushing wet earth so that it fell around me. I was in the grave. Again, terror. Somehow the hope had lurked that this was a dream, and awakening might bring me to grateful reality. But I was in the grave, and a storm howled above. I crawled upward. It was still night, or rather instinct prompted me to believe that it was night again. I must have slept the clock around. The storm had kept people from the graveyard, kept them from discovering the torn earth and its inmate. I rose to the surface, and the rain lashed me from skies wild with anger. And yet, I was happy, happy for the life I knew. I drank the rain. The thunder enraptured me as though it were a symphony. I marvelled at the lightning's emerald beauty, and I was alive. All about me corpses rotted and sloughed, nor could all the fury of the unleashed elements imbue them with one spark of existence or of memory. My own poor thoughts, my own poor life, were infinitely precious in comparison to the lot of those below. I had cheated worm and maggot. Let the storm howl. I would howl with it, share in the cosmic jest. Vitalized in the truest sense of the word, I began to walk. The rain washed the earth-stains from my garments and body. Singularly, I felt no cold, no especial dampness. I was aware of these things, but they did not seem to penetrate. For the first time I realized another odd thing. I was not hungry or thirsty. At least I did not seem to be. Had appetite died with memory? I wondered. Memory. The problem of identity still pressed. I walked along, impelled by the storm. Still pondering, my feet carried me past the confines of the cemetery. The gale leading me seemed to guide my footsteps out onto the stone sidewalk of a deserted street. I walked, almost without heeding. Who was I? How had I died? How revived? I walked through the rain, down the dark street, alone in the wet velvet of the night. Who was I? How had I died? How revived? I crossed a block, entered a narrower street, still stumbling alone with the wind and the laugh of thunder from clouds, mocking my bewilderment. Who was— I knew. My name. The street told me. Summit Street. Who lived on Summit Street? Arthur Derwin. Myself. I was Arthur Derwin of Summit Street. I used to be— Something I couldn't remember. I had lived, lived for years, and yet all I could recall was my name. How had I died? I had been to the seance, and the lights were out, and Mrs. Price was calling to someone. She had screamed something about evil influences, and then the lights had gone on. They hadn't gone on but they must have. They had, but I wasn't there. I had died, died in the darkness at the seance. 
What killed me? Shock, perhaps? And then what happened? Mrs. Price had hushed it up. I was alone in the city. I had been buried hurriedly in a pauper's grave. Heart failure, the coroner had probably called it. I was laid away. That was it. And yet I was Arthur Derwin, and surely somebody had cared. Brahman Street, said the sign in the lightning. Brahman Street. Someone had cared. Viola. Viola had been my fiancée. She had loved Arthur Derwin. What was her last name? Where had I met her? What did she look like? Brahman Street. Again the sign. Unconsciously my feet seemed to have led me down this way. I was walking down Brahman Street without thinking in the storm. Very well. I would let my feet lead the way. I wouldn't think. My feet would take me to Viola's home through habit. There I would learn. No thinking now. Just walk through the storm. I walked. My eyes closed to the blackness through which thunder beat. I walked out of death. And I was hungry now. I was hungry and thirsty here in the night. And I was hungry to see Viola and thirsty for her lips. I had come back from death for her. Or was that too poetic? I came from the grave and went back to sleep in it, and rose again and sought the world without memory. It was gruesome and grim and macabre. I died at a seance. My feet plodded, slopping through rain. I felt no cold, no wet. I was warm inside, warm with the memory of Viola, her lips, her hair. She was a blonde, I remembered. Her hair was coiled sunlight, her eyes blue and deep as the sea, her skin the milky whiteness of a unicorn's flanks. I had told her so, I recalled, when I held her in my arms. I knew her mouth as a scarlet gate to ecstasy. She was the hunger within me, she the burning beacon of desire that led me back through mists of memory to her door. I was panting, and did not know it. Within me revolved a wheel that had once been my brain, and was now just a grinding round screen flashing kaleidoscopic images of Viola, of the grave, of a seance and evil presences and inexplicable death. Viola had been interested in mysticism. I had been interested in the occult. We went to the séance. Mrs. Price was a famous medium. I died at the séance and woke up in a grave. I came back to see Viola. I came back to find out about myself. I knew now what I was, how I had died, but how revived, but how revived. Brahman Street, feet plodding. And then instinct turned my feet up the pathway to the porch. It was instinct which caused my hand to fumble for the familiar doorknob without knocking, instinct which led me across the threshold. I stood in a hallway, a deserted hallway. There was a mirror there, and for the first time I could see myself. Perhaps 
That would shock me into complete remembrance and recognition. I looked, but the mirror faded before my gaze into a blur. I felt weak, dazed, but it was due to the hunger within me, the hunger which burned. It was late. Viola wouldn't be downstairs. She would be in her bedroom at this hour. I went up the stairs, dripping water at every step walking quite silently aside from the little dripping patter of rills running down to the stair below. All at once, giddiness left me again, and I felt strong. I had the feeling that I was ascending the stairs to destiny, as though once I reached the top I would know the truth of my fate. Something had brought me from the grave here. Something lay behind this mysterious resurrection— the answer lay above. I reached the top, turned down the dark, familiar hall. The bedroom door opened beneath my hand. A candle burned at the bedside, nothing more, and I saw Viola lying there. She slept, incarnate beauty slept. She was very young and lovely at that moment and I felt pity for her at what she must know upon awakening. I called softly, Viola. I called softly, and while I did so, my brain said the last of the three questions over and over. And how revived, said my brain. Viola, called my voice. She opened her eyes, allowed life to flood them. She saw me. Arthur, she gasped. You're dead. It was a scream, that last. Yes, I said softly. Why did I say yes, I wondered, and my brain whispered, and how revived. She rose up, shuddering. You're dead. A ghost. We buried you. Mrs. Price was afraid. You died at the séance. Go away, Arthur, you're dead. She moaned it over and over. I looked at her beauty and knew hunger. A thousand memories of that last evening came to me. The séance and Mrs. Price warning of evil spirits. The coldness which had gripped me in the darkness and my sudden sinking into oblivion. Then this wakening— and my search for Viola to appease my hunger. Not for food, not for drink, not for love. A new hunger, a new hunger known only at night, a new hunger that made me shun men and forget my former self, a new hunger that hated mirrors, a hunger for Viola. I moved toward her very slowly, and my wet grave clothes rustled as I reached out my hands reassuringly and took her in my arms. I was sorry for her just for an instant. Then the hunger came stronger, and I bent my head. The last question rang in my brain once again, and how revived! The séance, the threat of evil spirits, answered that question. I answered it myself. I knew why I had risen from the grave, and who and what I was, as I took Viola in my arms. 
I took Viola in my arms, and my teeth met in her throat. That answered the question. I was a vampire. Hello, ladies and gents. Ian here. Be sure to pop on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page for regular updates. If you'd like to support our work, please consider taking a look at our Patreon or Bandcamp pages, or search for us on Audible. You'll find links to everything on our website, horrorbabble.com forward slash links.